Are you guys not excited to be here? Hey, some energy, some life. Well, I'm excited to be here. Even though I'm a little bit late, um, you know, life happens and things come up, but I'm glad that I'm here, that God brought me in one piece safely. Um, let's bow our heads. I'm just going to open us up in prayer. We'll jump right into the word and then we will be out of here. Father, we want to thank you so much for gathering us here this afternoon. God, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for how loving you are. We thank you for how kind you are. We thank you, Father God, because we are so undeserving of those qualities that you display to us. But yet constantly, Lord God, you show your love and your mercy to us. Thank you so much for that. God, we just commit ourselves to you in this time. We ask that your word will come forth, O oh God, and that whatever it is, O oh Lord, you want us to retain and keep in our hearts and in our minds and our spirits and our souls, God, that it will happen by your grace, O oh Lord. And not only that, Father God, but that we would be able to use this information to apply it in our own lives and to help our brothers and sisters around us, Father God. We come against every spirit of distraction, Father Lord God, that is set in place, O oh Lord, from deterring us, O oh Lord, from hearing what it is you want us to take this afternoon. We thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So before I jump into the word, who can tell me three, so three brave people, who can tell me what you learned last week? I believe Kojo preached last week? No? Pat did, okay. So what did you learn from Pat's teaching? Anybody who has an extra mic and who can be my mic passer? No extra mic? Oh, yes. Can I have a designated mic passer? Anybody? Oh, come on, guys. Let's engage. Let's be alive. Let's participate. I know y'all are just here for another Sunday, but trust me, you're going to want to listen to what God has for you today. And it always helps when you're more interactive, when you're more engaged. So who wants to be the mic or who wants to be yeah, the mic passer? Thank you, Francine. And three brave people. What did you learn last week? Look through your notes if you have to. Flip through the Bible. What did you learn last week? Otherwise, I'm just going to call on people and nobody wants to be called on. So please. Anybody? And if you avoid eye contact with me, you're the first person I will call. So look me in my eye and tell me what you learned last week. Wait, first of all, who all was here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. And we're in church, so don't lie. Okay. Okay, Francine, you're good. All right, so a good amount of you were here last week. What did you guys learn? Okay, okay. All right, so apparently it was a video. So what did you see in the video? What was the video about? And partly I'm asking this because I actually wasn't here. Thank you. And I um, were, we have this topic of righteousness, right? So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all understanding this topic correctly. So we have a young, wonderful lady in the back who has volunteered. One of three who's going to share with us what she learned last week. I know that in the video we learned that um, when people like they they're down and then when they finally get the chance to get up, they tend to push the other people who were bothering them when they were down 
push them down so that they can be up if that makes sense okay so you're saying that in the video it was basically describing like when you're trying to come up right and you become like to the point where you're at like the people below you are still trying to pull you down is that no. like, uh, so you were down and, and the mic those when you were down and those who were up when you finally get up to their standard you tend to push them down um, because you finally I see. That's good. Thank you for sharing. God bless you. Anybody else? That's really powerful. Thank you very much over here on our right. Um, something I typed down on my phone was uh, so that our basis for what is wrong and right is scripture. Like what we think is or what we know is good and should be done and what we shouldn't do and what is bad is all in scripture. Our, did you the the first part was that our patience our, our basis our what our basis like uh, our basis yeah oh okay so all of that is in scripture yeah thank you very much God bless you one more person and if you're talking you're gonna get called on if you are talking I hope you're I hope you're brainstorming what you guys were talking about last week and trying to figure out who's gonna be the spokesperson otherwise zip it. anybody else. What did you learn last week? One more person. Don't be shy. Be bold. It sounds like, you know, there were, it was a variety of information. So one person got one thing, another person got another thing. So what did you get out of last week? There is no wrong answer. Anybody? I mean, we got all day. One more person. Come on. All right, so the people who were here last week, raise your hand again. <laughs> I mean, we're in church, so. The people who were here last week, raise your hand. Okay, Francine, you choose. Choose one person. Denzel. <laughs> Denzel, you got this. Everybody wants you to speak. So, last and week from the video, I learned that, oh, what's it called? Everyone, like, God gave every, like, God, when God made everyone, they made it, like, the same level. And some people, they push, they push the other, the, they're all on the same level, and so it's okay. Patients. It's okay. He's 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 saying it the way he understands it. So let's respect him, please. Yeah, respect. Because nobody else got their hand up. So zip it. Go ahead. Oh, and then some people push the other people down. Mm -hmm. And then, then and Jesus came and like it's hard to explain, but like they had like um. It was like a red ribbon or whatever, okay. and a white ribbon, okay. and a white ribbon was like righteous, righteousness. Okay. Yeah, righteousness, and um, the red ribbon was like wickedness or something. Yeah, and then Jesus came with righteousness and helped the wicked people become righteous, and then the people that became righteous also help other people to become righteous too. 
Amen. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, guys. So thank you, Francine. God bless you. So the thing about sharing helps to kind of like reinforce everything that you learn. It also helps you guys to understand like what your peers are thinking, how they understand the message, how they understand the word that's being shared. So next week, presumably, whoever is preaching, they may ask you about what you learned from today's teaching. And I hope you guys don't embarrass me by not raising your hand and not uh, explaining kind of what you learned. So anyways, guys, I'm really glad to be here and I'm really thankful for everybody who's here. I'm thankful for your life and your well-being. Um, as you know, we've been talking, or I guess we just started talking on the topic of righteousness, right? And righteousness is a very common term that is talked about in the Bible probably 500 plus times. It's a very, very important characteristic that we as believers must carry. We have to be righteous. Like you can't have a believer, you can't have a Christian who's not righteous, right? So can anybody tell me what they understand righteousness to mean? What does being righteous mean to you? Francine, I'll give you the mic again to pass around. Can anybody tell me what righteousness means to you? But before I go deep into the word, and I'm just really going to scratch the surface, but uh, I just want to make sure that you guys understand. It's a very simple word. There is no like really complicated definition here. But what do you understand by righteousness? We hear it all the time. We see it all the time in the Bible. What does righteousness mean to you? Anybody? Nobody knows what righteousness means? Okay, thank you in the back. I think that's Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. It's just doing right by yourself and other people. Say that again? Doing right by yourself and other people. Doing right by yourself and by other people. Thank you, Daniel. That's a really good definition. So, So doing right by yourself, right? So integrity, doing what you believe to be right for yourself and by yourself. And then what he said was for other people, doing what's right for other people in the presence of people. Uh, one more, one more definition, because that was really good. Helping others by God, thank you, God bless you. That is spot on, right? We use God to be the standard of righteousness. Otherwise, anybody and everybody can define what righteousness means, but God becomes the measuring stick or the yardstick that we use to figure out, okay, is this righteous, is this not? So. The, the definition based on what I've seen kind of float around and based on my own understanding of righteousness is to simply be morally upright, okay? Somebody who's righteous is morally upright. That means they do good things, right? There's good, there's evil, and they do the good, right? Morality is a little bit more specific to the things of God, right? So there are some things like culturally speaking, societies like societally speaking, there are some things that people have different opinions about whether it's right or whether it's wrong. But morality is more objective. That's something that's been handed to us from God and is very clear and very specific about what's right and what's wrong. So although you may have an opinion about whether or not smoking is right or wrong, morality has a very, very specific understanding of things and is a little bit more direct and objective about right and wrong, correct? 
So that's really what it means to be righteous, is to, to be sort of morally upright with God or morally upright in the eyes of God. That means irrespective of culture, irrespective of what society says is right or wrong, you know what the word of God says. You know what God says about what is right and what is wrong. And to, for you to be righteous, what you do is you align yourself with that knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. So throughout scripture, there are tons of stories about men and women of God who were morally upright, okay? So they lived very holy lives, lives that were very pleasing to God. Or, yeah, very, lives that were very pleasing to God and lives that people would characterize as righteous, right? And so there's a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of examples. Okay, keep it down, please. Out of respect for me, please. I don't wanna be, I don't wanna lose my train of thought. I don't want anything, just please, please keep it down, okay? So there are tons of stories in the Bible that basically talk about righteousness and, and, and what it means to be morally upright. And what I wanted to do today is not talk about the, the stereotypical or the quintessential or like upright um, Christian or believer or Bible character in, in the usual sense, that they just walked with God and God told them to do X, Y, and Z, and they did X, Y, and Z, and they were obedient to God and they lived upright. You know, people like, you know, say Moses or Abraham or things like that. I wanted to really um, have us focus on the story of Job, right? Because Job was a person who the Bible also describes as someone who was righteous, Okay. In fact, if you could just turn your Bibles with me to Job chapter 1, and we'll just look at the intro of that, and then we'll just kind of talk about that and why Job was righteous. So it's Job chapter 1. Okay. So Job chapter 1, when you're there, say amen. Okay, give it a few more minutes. Job chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. Are you guys all there? Boys in the back, what is that? What is that box? What is, what is going in and out of that box? Is it chocolate? Oh, okay. All right. Let's try to stay focused and not get distracted by the chocolate. We can eat the chocolate when we're done. If you're there at Job chapter one, please say amen. All right. So are y'all good? When I hear chit chat, I think you guys are still looking for it. Who is still, who's still looking for it? Okay. Go ahead. Keep looking. Job chapter one. It's after the book of Esther. And right before the book of Psalm, I believe. You guys there now? Okay. All right, so Job chapter one, I'm just gonna read the first few verses here. Because I think we all, we all know the story of Job, but I'm gonna connect it here to this topic here of righteousness. So the Bible says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. 
He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. So I'm going to pause that there. So we already know off the bat, off the jump, that Job is not only somebody who is extremely wealthy, extremely wealth, has an abundance of land, has an abundance of animals, but the Bible, some translations, I have the New Living Translation, but some translation will describe in the first couple verses Job as a righteous man, okay? My Bible says that he was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil, okay? Number one. How many of us can say that we are a man or a woman of integrity, right? Rhetorical question. Think about that. Integrity being just you doing what's right, you knowing what's right, and doing it even when nobody else is watching. How many of us can say that, number one? And then number two, how many of us can say that we really feared God, right? And one thing that I I really want to stress in today's message is how how job's richness and how his wealth did not exclude him from certain sufferings and from certain things that went wrong in his life right and that's really important to understand because a lot of times as believers we we connect or we essentially measure the success of our faith by what our life looks like materially so if we have a nice life if things are good if you know, we've got money or like our parents are great and school's going great. If everything on our life is going perfect, then a lot of people equate that with having a really good, healthy relationship with God, right? And as you'll go through and read, we won't read the entire book here, but as you'll go through and read in the book of Job, that's not the case, right? So just because someone is going through something in their life doesn't actually mean that there's something wrong with their relationship with God or there's something wrong with their walk with God. And more importantly, it doesn't mean that that person is not righteous before the eyes of God. And that's something, again, that I really want you guys to understand. Because in this life, especially as young as you guys are, you're going to go through certain things. You're going to have certain trials, certain tribulations, things that are going to move you and sway you away from the things of God, right? But I don't want you to look at that as, all right, this means God doesn't love me. This means I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe God hates me. Maybe I'm a terrible prayer. Maybe I don't know how to read my Bible. That doesn't, that does, that's not what that means, right? The Bible makes it clear that even someone like Job, who was as rich as he was, who was as honorable as he was, a man of integrity, a man who feared God, went through certain trials. So as you go on to read the book of Job, we, we, we hear the, the tests, that the trials that Job experienced that he went through. And interestingly enough, a lot of people, a lot of scholars, like Bible scholars, and apologetics and people who really kind of have studied the word they've gone back and forth and kind of tussled over whether or not like the story of job is about a real person like a real man named job and a real encounter between god and satan and how everything sort of play out 
or if it's more of like a metaphor, right? A metaphor to help believers understand how to continue to have faith in God even in the midst of trouble. They go back and forth on that. But regardless, as we go on to read, we can see that like God essentially bragged about Job. He was like, look, I have this incredible son named Job who fears me, who loves me. He's a man of integrity and he's done right by me. And Satan is like, eh, well, you know what? He's only done that. He's only like that because look at his life. He's got everything he could ever want. He's wealthy beyond what he needs. He's got a beautiful, great big family. The man is good. Why, why wouldn't he bless the Lord? Why wouldn't he you know, continue to serve the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and be a man of integrity, right? That's what Satan is challenging God with. And so what God does is he grants Satan permission to basically inflict pain and harm to Job right with the exception of job's life he's like like fine whatever test him do what you got to do but do not take his life and so the bible as you'll read on it says that essentially within the span of one day job lost all of his children he lost all of his land he lost all of his animals Right, and it said something about uh, I think um, a messenger had come to him and said, "Hey, look, you know, a whole bunch of thieves like took everything, and then also there was a natural disaster that destroyed everything. And oh, by the way, your kids are dead, right? And this all happens in one space in one time. And Job is not there when God is having the conversation with Satan about what's going on. Like Job is just completely hit with." all of this mis mishap, like he's just completely in awe. And, and, and none of you guys will really understand what it means to lose a child until you become a parent and you understand what that pain is like. I don't even understand that. And that's something that I would never wish on anybody. But the Bible says that Job lost all of his children in that span. And it even got to the point where Satan, and it was very clear to Satan and to God and to everybody who was looking on, that that wasn't enough to rock his faith, right? In, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that kind of pain, right? He may have been initially a little disgruntled, but he still kept his faith. And I, it just got to a point where even Satan had to go back to God and God granted him access to Job again. And this time it wasn't everything around Job and everything that you know he had possession of, it was himself. It was his own body and his own health, right? And the Bible says that uh, he got all these open blisters and sores all over his body. Not only is that really like unattractive and gross to look at, but it's also extremely painful. Now this man is in physical pain. It wasn't enough that he was in emotional pain and he was mentally distraught because he had lost everything. Now he is physically in pain, okay? And I don't know about you guys, but if I have even the slightest cold or the slightest headache, I, I, I'm just the biggest baby. I throw the biggest tantrum. My health is so important to me because when I feel healthy, when I feel good, I feel like I can function. I can move. I can live the way I'm supposed to. But when something is wrong or something is off in my body, I really feel it and it really disrupts my life. And so... Job, who was perfectly fine and perfectly healthy before any of this, 
is now all of a sudden hit with the most severe kind of skin disease that could possibly occur. And still he doesn't understand what's going on. And so now Job is a little bit more disgruntled. He's like, okay, what is actually going on? And now he has the influence of the people around him. So Job's wife is still around. Job's got a couple of friends who come to see him and come to mourn with him. And initially his wife is like, yo, you just need to curse God and die. Because at this point, what has happened to you is so bad. Clearly life is not worth living. And if you really served a God who loved you, if you really served a God who cared about you, none of this would be happening to you. That's Job's wife telling him this. So that's a really strong influence over his life, trying to tell him about what he needs to do in that particular situation. And then you'll read on, and the Bible says that a couple of Job's friends come in from out of town, and they meet with him, and they're kind of like talking amongst themselves, and everybody is trying to make sense of this. Like, what is actually going on with you, bro? Like, you are like the lowest of lows that we've ever seen you. How can you go from having it all one day to the next day literally losing it all? Like what is going on? And they continue to kind of like talk amongst themselves and they kind of speculate like maybe like maybe he wasn't really this upright, you know, morally righteous person that everybody thought he was. Maybe maybe he wasn't really favored by the Lord. Like maybe he sinned. He must have done something that would have caused this to happen to him, right? And so now Job is got all these like these people talking in his ear he's hearing all these things and I don't care how old you are I don't care how grown you are we're all very impressionable and we're all very much influenced by the things around us and so people are talking he's seeing things he's hearing things and everything in that moment between what he's been through and what he's lost and his current state everything and in that situation he should have just been done with it he should have walked away he had all the tools and all the resources and every justification to be like look i'm done i've tried my hardest to love the lord i've tried my hardest to fear god i've tried my hardest to be a good noble man and this is what i get because one thing too that we have to realize and understand is not only has he lost everything and now he's experiencing the, the physical pain and harm but he's got the people around him who's looking at him now and questioning his integrity, right? And for some people, that's the worst of it all. They're like, you can take everything away from me, but don't take away my character. Don't take away my, my, my pride or don't take away the integrity, right? I know I'm a good, honest man and you know I'm a good, honest man. And the minute you take that away from me, that's over. And the Bible says that even still then, right? Job was very, 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 very close. He was very close. He cursed the day that he was born, right? He like shook his fist at God and was like, what is this? What's going on? And was, it just couldn't understand why all of this, he had to bear all of this on his shoulders, right? And then towards the end, the Bible says that God eventually spoke to him. And essentially God was telling him not to lose faith, not to lose heart that all of this had a purpose, it had a grand purpose in Job's life. And that most importantly, God was able to see through it all that although Job was really close, although Job got very frustrated and very angry, Job never ever gave up on his faith in God. He never ever 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 cursed God. He never ever ever even questioned, right? 
just where he stood with God. And that's what I want you guys to take away from today. Being righteous doesn't necessarily mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that your life looks great. It doesn't mean that everything will be peaches and cream. That's not what righteousness is. And that's not the only time when you have to pursue righteousness. That's not the only time where you have to maintain your integrity. I would argue that your righteousness becomes the most important when you are going through the trials of your life, when you are going through really, really difficult times, the days and the nights when you're in your room and you're under your bed, your door is shut and you are just crying. You've had some sort of breakdown because maybe your parents said something, maybe something happened at school and you are just so broken. You just want to give up or you just want to say, I'm done with this. Like, why would I continue to pursue something or have faith in something when my life just looks like it's in shambles, right? But I really want to plead with you guys this afternoon to take heart the same way that Job did. Now, fortunately for us, I don't think that we're ever going to get to have to experience the suffering to the extent that Job did. But, but this example is still extremely necessary for us as believers, that your, your righteousness is not only called into effect when everything is going great in your life. Yeah, it's easy to throw up your hands and worship God and say you love God when things are growing great. But what about when things don't go great? What about when you really, 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 really have to have the faith and everything around you, your friends, maybe even your family, your circumstances, everything is just pushing you further and further and further away from the faith. Are you going to persevere the way that Job did? Are you going to continue to have that faith? Because in a lot of different ways, that faith that Job had that was slowly dwindling and dwindling and dwindling, the faith is the only thing that he had to sustain him. Okay, and some of you, for, for if you know anybody who's ever committed suicide or anybody who's thought about committing suicide, it's a really, really hard place to be. And if you have absolutely nothing to live for, then of course you'll take your life. Of course you'll want to end things because for what reason? You're not. You don't feel loved. You don't feel like you live or or are are in an environment that is conducive to to being loved. You just feel like everything and anything is pointless, it's meaningless, and there's no, there's no value to your life. But for somebody like Job, even when his friends and his family spoke to him in that manner, Job had that element of faith, and that faith was all that he had. He lost his animals, he lost his children, he lost his image, he lost his wealth, he lost it all, but he didn't lose his faith. And that's what I want you guys to take with you, to never, ever, ever lose your faith, even if you lose everything in this world. I saw a couple videos yesterday um, on YouTube of people in Ukraine in some underground tunnel just worshiping and praying, right? I, I don't know. Maybe they've lost their homes. Maybe they have males and their families that have been sent out to fight. I mean, essentially, in that time and in that space, they've lost a lot. And for some of them, it may even be considered everything. None of us will know what it feels like to be living in, in, in this state of fear constantly, not knowing if you're gonna get bombed like right next door, not even knowing if you're going to see tomorrow. To have lost it all. One day your life is great, the next day your life is not. 
Will you continue to hold on to the faith, even if it's a little bit of faith? The Bible says the faith as small as a mustard seed. If you need to, Google it. Google how small a mustard seed is. If you have even that much faith, the way that Job did, it will carry you through those difficult, painful times. And it is the surest sign of your righteousness. Because again, life is not guaranteed to us, right? We are here today and tomorrow we're not. But in the same sense, the, the great things that we experience, this really happy-go-lucky life, that's not promised to us either. Today, things may be great. Tomorrow, Russia might bomb us. I don't know, right? But our faith is what ultimately must sustain us. We have to hold on to that, and we have to believe more than anything else, even when our friends, even when culture, even when society shifts the norms and says one thing about what is right, about what is good, about what is bad, that we stick to the word, we stick to the truth of what God has said about our life. Amen? So I want you guys to hold on to that, and I want you guys to really implement it in your darkest lowest days, in your lowest times, and in your lowest moments, that God loves you, that all you need is to continue to hold on to that faith. I promise you, nothing is ever fatal, and nothing really lasts forever, right? So even if you feel like you're in a season of trial, maybe things are really difficult in school, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I thought to myself when I was in high school that I really hate this. Like I really did not like high school at all. High school was just, it was just this weird bubble of like superficial people and, and classes were really hard and life just seemed like it sucked, right? I mean, if you're like a freshman, sophomore, maybe you don't drive and so you don't have accessibility to certain things in certain places. You're still stuck under your parents' roof. It's like not the best time in your life. And for a lot of people, they think that that is their life and that is where their life ends. But it's not. The Bible says that after Job had this sort of come to Jesus moment with God, God went back and gave him more children. He doubled his land, doubled the number of animals that he had. In essence, everything that Job lost, God went back and not only restored, but he doubled it. He maximized it because of Job's faith. That is what God will do for you. Soon as I got out of high school, went to college, started working, I would say the quality of my life has doubled, right? Because I didn't allow my mentality about where I was at at one point in my life to dictate where I was going or what God could have done with my life. And that's what I want you guys to remember today. Amen? Let's pray. I want you to think about what I just preached this afternoon. Think about everything that I just said. And I want you to find the areas in your life, like reflect, refine, find the areas in your life where anything I said is applicable, where you can take the element of faith and apply it in your life. Where can you apply the element of righteousness and apply it to your life? Where can you apply the element of trusting God even in the midst of hardship into your life? Think about that. And then I want you to just take it, just visually imagine yourself taking that, whatever it is, and just placing it before God. 
placing it before the feet of God and leaving it there and saying, God, I'm giving this to you because I want you to help me to sustain my faith. Even when I'm going through setbacks, even when I'm going through challenges, God, I want you to direct it all and really invite God to take charge of that because it's not easy. I may have made it sound easy, but it's really not easy. That's why a lot of people end up making really bad decisions when their life go awry. Some people turn to drugs, they turn to sex, they turn to alcohol. Some people even commit suicide when really all they needed to do was turn to God and turn to his promises and hold on to even that mustard seed size of faith. I want you to ask God to give you that kind of faith to sustain you even in the midst of hard times in your life. Let's pray.